Well, good morning again, folks. We are going to finish off the first part of our series, Preaching Through the Gospel of Luke. Hopefully some of you have been able to, to read along as we have been preaching through this particular gospel. But, but today I actually want to, to reverse and rewind to last week and to last week's reading and to finish off part one on our series of Luke is just take a little time to, to read together and think through this particular parable that's found in Luke chapter 8 verses 4 through to 15 and the parable of the sower. Many of you will be familiar with it but if you have your Bibles with you do feel free to, to turn to those pages. Access the reading on one of your Bible apps as well if you wish to do so. If not, you're just going to have to sit back and listen to my dulcet tones take you, take you through. But Luke chapter 8, picking up the reading at verse 4. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow a seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he, that is Jesus, said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him, what this parable meant. Jesus said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. And Lord, we thank you for this word. Truly, we may respond to your word this day. Lord Jesus, when you say to us, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear, that our, that our ears are open and they're listening to how you would speak to us, counsel us, and guide us through your words. May they produce a rich and abundant crop in our lives, for we would ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The parable of the seed, or perhaps better, the parable of the seed among the soils, in Luke's retelling of the story, is one of Jesus' most well-known parables. I would imagine that you have 
read this parable many times, perhaps even heard it preached on numerous times as well. And I think that one of the reasons why it's so well known is that it's easy to understand. <laughs> it's easy to get to the excuse the pun root of the matter very, very quickly. But the major theme of the passage that we have just read is the variety of responses to the Word of God caused by a variety of obstacles. And no doubt you can recognize the obstacles in, in our own times as well, and perhaps even in our own lives also. Last week, we, we thought a little bit about what the seed as the Word of God meant. We go to the beginning of the chapter, and of course, we read about Jesus going from town to town, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. The good news of the kingdom of God, God returning to his world, God taking back control. <laughs> We've heard that recently, haven't we? But God and his promise to take back control of his earth to return righteousness and justice to the nations as Christ as the king, not just of a particular land, but of the nations. And what we do in our time and place is we respond to Jesus' lordship in the present, anticipating the future reality of that rule. But, but today, we, we want to look at the ways in which the parable lays out different options and different ways that people respond to the preaching of the good news, to the story of Jesus. And so we have four different soils to think through this morning. And the first group of seed that Jesus speaks about is the, is the seed that never germinates. It doesn't even get the chance to come to life in any way, shape, or form. Jesus tells it, it falls on the path, it's trampled upon, and it's eaten up by the birds. And Jesus, when he takes a little um, sidebar with the disciples to explain to them what exactly is going on here in this parable. Well, he explains that, that the birds attest to the devil. They attest to a spiritual reality, to spiritual beings, what the Bible refers to as powers and principalities that are actively opposed to God. They are actively opposed to God's word, to humans. They're actively opposed to God's will for humans, and they're actively opposed to God's good intentions for humans. And of course, if you've been reading along in the Gospel of Luke so far, you will, you will have noticed that there are moments where Jesus actually encounters people who have been oppressed by these forces in such a way that it has robbed people of their dignity, it has robbed people of their humanity, it has robbed people of their lives. And Jesus comes along with the power of his word, he delivers oppressed people. We've seen him demonstrate this, and it takes no more than a word from Jesus' mouth. But quite simply, Jesus is alerting us to the fact that there are forces, there are powers and principalities, spiritual beings who are opposed to the will of God. It's, it's quite as simple as that. And we don't need to exaggerate or be preoccupied with their presence, but neither do we have to be so sophisticated and cynical as to deny their very existence. One of the things that I have the great pleasure of doing at this church is baptizing people 
are preparing them for, for baptism. You know that we do two baptismal services per year, and I always think of them as high points in the life of our church where we're able to baptize somebody into the name of Father, Son, and Spirit. And I think that one of the reasons why it's a high point for us in our community because it's the moment where we are truly doing what we are called to do, why we are in existence. Jesus says, go out into all the nations and make disciples, teaching them to be obedient to me and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And when a church has people to baptize, they're kind of, they're doing what they're meant to be doing. And that brings great joy to my heart. But one of the things that I make a a point of doing is praying for the folk who have just been baptized for the next 40 days after their baptism. I make a point of just making a reminder to myself to pray for them for the 40-day period after they were baptized. And I think that we get a little bit of a, an insight into why we should perhaps do that is because when Jesus was baptized, we know that the Spirit took him out into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. And on occasion, I'm actually able to, to meet with the folk who have been baptized, just to check in on them, to see how they're doing. Thinking back to my own baptism back in 1997, and I know that those are moments in life where I become alive to the fact and to the reality of, a, of, of spiritual powers that are looking to upend, that are looking to, will destroy God's good work in people's lives. And Jesus tells us, well, sometimes that happens for whatever reason, and it's like the seed that falls on the path. The birds come along and they they snatch it away. We don't need to be fearful of this, but we need to be mindful of it because it is, according to Jesus, part of human existence and reality. The second group of seed faces the first obstacle of fruitfulness. The seed, Jesus tells us, falls on rocky ground, but the shallow soil prevents adequate root growth. The seed isn't able, having germinated, to put down the roots necessary to propel growth. And what this produces, Jesus says, is a a shallow faith. It is one that is initially joyful and joy-filled, but it cannot survive the pressures that being a Christian brings. And I would dare say that that many of you would agree with me when I would say something like this. Becoming a Christian is both the best thing that you can ever do, but it also means that it brings with it added pressures. It brings with it sometimes added complexities in life. It's the best thing, but it can sometimes be the toughest thing. Life would be, on one level, perhaps easier not to, beco- not to become a Christian because you don't have the pressures, and sometimes, for some Christians at least, the persecutions that come with it. And Jesus, well, he says that a faith that is shallow, a faith that hasn't gone down deep, that hasn't put down the necessary root system, it will look great initially, but it will dry out and it will never come to full maturity and fruition down through the ages, down through the seasons. I've been part of churches, as I've said, um, for over 20 years now, and I've seen people like this who come to, to faith in a blaze of glory one year, 
and the next they're no longer to be seen. If I'm being honest, I can see elements of myself. It has taken a long, long time for the roots to go deep in my own life. Not only attests to the perseverance of the Word of God, His determination to put down roots in my life. But Jesus says this is, well, this is the way some respond. Initially, joyfully, but the roots don't go down deep. The third group of seed, well, it fails to bear mature fruit. Nothing comes to fruition because other matters, other things, and Jesus names them as life's worries, riches are pleasures. Well, they crowd out the word's ability to do its cultivating, life-changing, life-nourishing work. And I think that Jesus, in naming these three things, life's worries, riches, or pleasures, has put his finger on the very heart of the human problem and our propensity to be distracted from the essential things, from the priority of the good news preached into our hearts and our lives. Even now when I read those things out, life's worries, riches, our pleasures, I can relate to the deceptive work that those three things can have in a believer's life. I'm mindful of, well, the, the difficulties that they have and can bring in my own life. Life's worries, riches, and pleasures. Then take our eyes off Christ. Take our eyes off His plans and His purposes, the direction that He wants to, to take us. And that's not to say that life doesn't bring its legitimate worries, because it does. That's not to say that when we come into a time of prosperity that that is a bad thing. I, I believe, and we've already thought about it briefly this morning, that, that God is against poverty. <laughs> There's nothing to be glamorized in, in poverty, but how we steward our riches says much about ourselves. And pleasures. Well, I think that God is the God of pleasure. <laughs> He's given us so many things to enjoy, but He says do it in this way, in these places and at this time. But pleasures in life that are not submitted to the boundaries that God places about them often lead us into destructive, destructive seasons in life, seasons that take us away from the heart of our Creator. And the fourth group of seed, well, it has the response that yields fruit. And again, Jesus gives us a little bit of an indication as to how we are to respond and what are the keys to the appropriate way to respond to the preaching of the good news of Jesus. He says in chapter 8 and verse 15, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. So he gives us a little bit of an indication as to the conditions of the soil, of the good soil, that responds, well, obediently and fruitfully to the seed of the gospel of the kingdom. It stands for those with good and noble hearts. Good and a noble heart. When a person has a good and a noble heart, they're more likely to respond positively to the preaching of the gospel 
to the, to the message of Jesus, to have a good heart. It's a type of expression that turns up on a, on a Hallmark card, doesn't it? But though it is difficult to define what a good heart is, you know exactly when you meet someone who has a good heart. <laughs> you feel it, you sense it, you can respond to it. A good-hearted person is somebody who, who is very thoughtful and considerate of others. They don't place the priority upon themselves and their own wants and desires. A good heart is somebody who's willing to be inconvenienced for the convenience of someone else. A good heart, a good-hearted person is someone who has a, a wider view, that understands their own small place in the brighter and better scheme of things. A person with a good heart stands a good chance of responding fruitfully to the seed of the kingdom. Those who also hold fast to the word are likely to bear fruit throughout the seasons. And this quality cannot be overstated because when we become a Christian, when you give your life over to Jesus and his lordship, he's calling you to a lifetime of obedience, not just for a season, not just for a month or two, but to an obedience that reverberates right down through, well, right down through the decades, <laughs> that follows you through all the different stages in your life. As an adolescent, as an emerging adult, as somebody going out into the workplace for the first time, for somebody coming out of the workplace after a long, long time, for people entering into marriage and raising families, for people going through the difficulties in life and what they can bring, somebody who holds fast to the word. Christians need this quality because we need to learn how to hold fast. I was thinking about this expression, hold fast, and when I was thinking about it, I was reminded of a time in my life where I have to hold fast. Every so often, I, I take my, my son and his two mates into the swimming pool. They will not go swimming if I don't take them. It's a real, real bother because they like to harass me and beat me and fight me. They like to be roughed up, and they like to, to rough up in return, okay? Now, the thing is, about two years ago, they were all still small enough that I could take the three of them. But now they're 14, 13, and 11 coming 12, respectively, and I am struggling. But there's a particular game that they like to play. They like me to grab onto the bars of the ladder in the pool, you know, the ladder that you climb in and out of. So I hold on to the ladder, and their job is to pull me off it. So it's two on one leg, one on the other, and they pull and pull and pull until I let go. And the minute I let go, they pounce on me. And I've been frightened a couple of times because there's been a couple of times where they've actually got me, got me down to the bottom of the pool, and I haven't been able to untangle myself. And I'm thinking, Lord, this is it. It's all over for me. <laughs> but I have learned to hold fast, <laughs> to hold fast to those bars because something is at stake now, my safety, <laughs> my life is at stake. And in a very, very real way, our lives are at stake. Being a Christian isn't something to be messed about with. It is a serious commitment. And we have to learn to hold fast. 
not onto the bars of a swimming pool, though that is necessary in my case, but to the one who is called the anchor of our souls. He ain't moving. Let us hold fast to him. And of course, the third thing that Jesus, what he says is necessary is patience. At, at the vision night a number of weeks ago, I, I was thankful for the opportunity to reflect with the group who were in the room on the, on the first six months out um, in my role as lead pastor here at the, at the church. And one of the things I, I, I spoke about was learning how to keep pace with the Lord, to walk at His pace in life. And it wasn't that I'm struggling to keep up with Him because He's going too fast, but the challenge is becoming slow enough because He works and moves at His own pace, and He tends to do things slowly. And that, of course, annoys us human beings in the extreme, and particularly for us who have been brought up in a fairly consumeristic, instant gratification society. We want things now. When we hit the hyperlink, we are not happy that it takes five seconds to load the page. We want fast speed, super fast broadband to do the job straight away. Bang, 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 bang. We want fast food. We want fast broadband. We want fast cash. We want fast success. But God doesn't work in that way. And if we bring those expectations on to Him, we're just going to be disappointed because the results don't come quick enough, because fruitfulness doesn't come quick enough. But when you walk at God's pace and you have the patience to walk with Him, to walk each day out with Him, to walk each season out with Him, you find that what you will produce is a crop that's a hundredfold, that is abundant, and that is enduring throughout your life. And I think that that is something that is worth slowing down for. I think that is worth taking a slower pace and learning how to walk each day and each season out in step with the Lord. Of course, one of the gifts that is given to the church that helps us to keep pace and to slow down is the times when we gather around the table where we take a moment like this to, to put things to, to one side and to consider, to consider the work of Jesus, the sacrifice of, of Jesus, the patience of Jesus, His long-suffering. Yes, His suffering that reached its ultimate point on the tree 2,000-plus years ago, but He continues to suffer with His people and with His world. And we are invited to enter into his suffering. We are entered to respond once again anew to the gospel that is proclaimed through these elements. So as the band and their servers make their way to the front, let us pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word that's spoken to our hearts. And Lord, we acknowledge that we can be any one of the four soil types that have been listed this morning. We can be distracted by life's worries, riches and pleasures. 
Lord, sometimes we are too proud to admit that there are powers and principalities that are too powerful for us, but they're not too powerful for you. Lord, we acknowledge that at times we are resistant to allowing your word to put down the deep, deep roots that are needed in our lives. And in a moment like this, Lord, we take the time just to examine our own lives. And in examining our own lives, Lord, we give you the space to to direct us, to correct us where it's needed. But Lord, also at this time, we declare that we want to be those who represent the good soil. That give over to you an abundant, an abundant and a fruitful crop. So Lord, as we take bread and we take wine together, Lord, we ask that you would put the roots down deep into our, into our lives. That you would teach us obedience. And Lord, you would fill us with your presence as we say thank you for the body that was broken for us and the blood that was shed for us. We take it into our lives and into our hearts afresh this day. In Jesus' mighty name. And so, Lord, we want to thank you for the bread that speaks of your body that was broken for us. And Lord, we thank you again for the blood that was shed. We say all these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. And so, folks, as you are able, I invite you to come and take of bread and of the, and of the cup when you're ready. Thank you.